Welcome to Human Tech, a podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie. I'm here with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hey, Guthrie. And we have a special guest today. We do. You want to you yeah. do it? I'll do it. We okay. have Kristen Gallagher. Kristen is a UX researcher um, in customer engagement at Google. Hi, Kristen. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> Good. So we met Kristen um, at just last month at mm-hmm. UXPA, and uh, Guthrie and I were there speaking, and we also taught a one-day workshop that Kristen was in, and um, we I don't know, we just kind of hit it off. We had a lot of fun talking together, uh, and in particular, one of the things I know we're going to talk about, but it doesn't have to be all we talk about, but we were, we were sitting at lunch, and Kristen started telling us about some, uh, I don't know, what do you call it? Ad hoc, yeah, uh, kind of like research or something. Gorilla, that's it. Gorilla <laughs> research. She had been doing or just doing, you know, like that day, right? Or the day yeah. before. Well, it was, yeah, it was like that week or something. Yeah, it was that and, night. It was very fresh. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, actually, what what, I, what my memory is, we were sitting at lunch, and you asked the table a question. And then we were all answering the question, and then you said, "Actually, I've been I've been doing some guerrilla research on uh, on this." So, um, and then that's kind of where we left it, and we never got to find out what your guerrilla research showed. So that's what I hope we we will um, we will reveal on yeah. the podcast today. Kristen's some of Kristen's guerrilla research, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Before we get into that, though, um, why don't you can you tell us just a little bit about uh, what you do at Google, like your official official job? Sure, sure. Um, so I have a background in um, working in mental health in the industry and as an addictions researcher. So it led me to uh, UX research, and I started off at Google working in Brand Studio. Uh, which is just making sure the people that work for Google adhere to certain branding uh, standards. But currently on my team in customer engagement, what I do is I work on a tool that helps customer service representatives diagnose and uh, resolve customer issues. But people never have customer issues with Google. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. It should take care of itself, right? <laughs> All right. So then how did you... You know, uh, but but you're doing this guerrilla research kind of on your own, you know, uh, on the side. Is or this whatever. was this um, was this a project that was like a sort of encouraged by something, or is this separate from your job? This is is this or is this like sort of an ancillary thing you're doing sort of through your job? Yeah, totally separate from my job. Um, I think having a background in psychology, I've just always been very curious about people and how they navigate the world and the lens through which they see things. And I'm able to do that to some extent in my job, but that's you know way more product-oriented and that feels a little bit more like work. So while I was uh, at this conference, just before, my friends and I went to do a little road trip to the Grand Canyon. And we had this really beautiful conversation talking about where we were in life and where we wanted to be. And what was really fascinating was that a couple of us, when we said where we wanted to be, we were like, you're already that. You already are that. But we just didn't realize that. And it brought up the question of when are we enough and who gets to decide that? 
And, you know, if we forget that we're enough or when traveling, you know, through the world or through life or experiences, sometimes we lose touch with that. How do we get that back? And so I started putting that question out on social media, asking, you know, Lyft and Uber drivers, anyone that I came into contact with. Um, which the lunch <laughs> table at UXPA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because people were having these, you know, traditional small talk conversations of where do you work and, you know, what are you working on, which is. Totally oh, you mean the, the questions I asked you when we started the podcast episode? <laughs> exactly. Okay. And um, you wanted to have, you wanted to go into a deeper level. Well, I just thought You're it was curious. really, really fascinating, uh, you know, to be at a conference with UX researchers and designers and people that really think about the human experience and, you know, we're always measuring success, how it is that we answer those questions and how we think about that. And yeah, it was just a really incredible opportunity to be at that lunch table and have that conversation with um, almost strangers, you know, to pull into that really deep personal, uh, I don't know, like understanding of yourself and, and share it with others. So yeah, the questions that I asked people were, uh, how do you know when who you are is enough? And what do you do to maintain and grow that sense of self-confidence? Okay. So what happened when you asked all these people and when you put it out on social media? Oh. Do you have any conclusions? <laughs> I do. It's been absolutely fascinating. Uh, so I found a lot of differences between men and women. Okay. Um, for women, when asking, you know, how uh, they know that who they are is enough and how they maintain and grow that feeling of self-confidence they talked a lot about getting off of so social media, how that was really damaging to their self-esteem and surrounding themselves with really positive people. Um, you know, they're talking about their insecurities coming from people who bring them down or are negative. Uh, they were also talking about self-care and just being gentle and sweet to themselves. And then a couple of them, which I really enjoyed, were just sort of like, it's a something that we're sort of entitled to, you know, um, they said just look, well, a direct quote was <laughs> look at the losers, you know, who believe in themselves. So it was just kind of a, a funny way. One of the quotes where people were talking about kind of creating that sense of self-esteem, you know, through avoiding social media or surrounding themselves with positive people, but then also just this ingrained sense of being enough just by being a human. And for men, they were saying, uh, you know, it's something you ultimately have to de decide for themselves, uh, that big changes were really hard and small changes were easy. So dividing big changes into smaller changes and talking about a strategic approach. Um, but what I thought was really fascinating was that more men than women gave answers uh, relating to not really focusing on that so much and sort of embracing um, like a fake it till you make it mentality, uh, you know, believing in self-confidence and just continuing in that direction, just having this almost persona of a confident person and then doing what they would do. Yeah. So how does that Oh, look? kind of like an inside out. I think of that as inside out. Exactly. Like, like you just, it's like, okay, I'm going to pretend I'm a confident person and by doing that, I'm going to become a confident person? Yes. Yeah. 
And then some kind of went outside in. Uh, a quote that I really loved was, I just walk around with a stupid grin on my face a lot. After a while, you start to feel good if you didn't already. And if you did, you feel even better. It's a win-win. <laughs> I think I remember hearing about that when I was like in middle school or something or elementary where a teacher was like, just just smile. And if you smile long enough, then you'll be in a good mood. You know, I, I, I've been tracking down research on that over the last couple of years. And um, the research is mixed on whether on whether uh, and the research actually had to do with not it had to do with um physical uh postures and movements you know like and and smiling is one of it right it changes the muscles in your face but also like uh you know hunch being hunched over versus standing up straight um uh uh being um you know, having standing with your legs further apart in a kind of a power stance, and and there were you know they were at the and I can't remember off the top of my head who was who was doing this research. I know one of one of the people gave a TED talk um, in which you know she said this this really when you do these when you change your muscles and your posture, it changes your. Uh, uh, emotional state and can bring on confidence or not, depending on the posture. But I just read that, and again, I have, I apologize for not having this reference at hand. Um, that there's some question about whether that's really true. Yeah, yeah. I actually, it's so funny you bring that up. I just, <laughs> I just watched that TED talk on Friday. Amy Cuddy talking about power. Yeah, Amy Cuddy. That. Thank you, thank you. But then yeah. I just heard. I'm going to have to find who was it. Some researchers that said, nah. Maybe not. Right, right. It seems uh, it's hard to replicate and it's not really conclusive. Um, but I, I do think it's interesting. And I'm, I'm kind of curious if we can weave in a little social experiment to this podcast. You're enough- always sure. weaving in social experiments. <laughs> Weave away. I have right, never cool. seen such an experiment weaver as Kristen. <laughs> okay, how are we going to weave in a social experiment into this podcast? Tell us. All right. So for me in California, it's 820 right now. What if for the next 10 minutes, we just have the conversation grinning? So we continue having the conversation, but very intentionally smile. Okay. Can we try that? Yeah, I got it. I have a mirror. <laughs> Perfect. Go and I'll put it right in I, front of me. I am trying. It's it's sort of <laughs> it's hard to talk. And it's easier. Smile it is easier time. with the mirror. Okay. I, when you're looking at, I find it easier with the mirror because then you're looking at yourself and it's like it's as though you were having a conversation with someone that's smiling. Mm. Okay. So uh, I don't know why we're doing this, but we're going to do it for ten minutes. I'm going to clock ten minutes. I'm watching okay. on my clock. Uh, and does that mean we can't talk about anything sad? No. In fact, I would encourage that. I think that would we are going to talk about something sad we while can. we're smiling. Yeah. I feel like a newspaper, a news anchor. <laughs> you know, supposedly they have to deliver like sad news and even smile a little, although I don't think that's true. Um, all right. So uh, tell us then while we're t- taking this 10 minutes to talk, tell us what you think. What's your so? Do you have a summary of that that one one little gorilla research thing you did about, um, you know, are you when are you enough? How do you know when you're enough? Like, what was the summary? 
Yeah, yeah. So I would say from that experiment, what I found most interesting was that there were differences between men and women and how they define that. So for women, it seemed like it was more oriented around social media and creating a positive community around them. And for men, it was more about, um, I kind of called it a survivalist perspective towards feeling like they were enough. Um, so some of them were just kind of like not thinking so much about enough, just focusing on whatever they were doing and uh, this feeling that being human was enough so they didn't need to prove themselves or quantify their worth in any way. Um, and then also something that I really liked about, or something that I found really interesting about men's responses is that it was also very geared towards um, goals and very uh, incremental improvements opposed to women where it was just you know, more about community and self-care. Uh, and then something that was really interesting when I did a survey and I split up those questions. So the first question being, how do you know and who you are is enough? A lot of people, uh, you know, had these ideas and it ranged from uh, their faith in God to feeling enough professionally to, uh, I called it uh, unsure or never being enough. And then there were some people, I would say the, the vast majority of it over the survey were saying that they define when they are enough. But what was really interesting, and I love this part, is the second question when they answered separately, how do you maintain and grow that feeling of self-confidence? A lot of people came to the realization that they knew what they had to do to be enough and they knew that they were the ones in control that defined it. But to grow and maintain that feeling of self-confidence was something that they don't necessarily uh, prioritize. That they you don't, mean they don't, they don't make it a priority in their life? Is that what you mean? Yeah, almost like a New Year's resolution. Like they, they knew what they needed to do. But in terms of actually maintaining and growing that feeling, they're like, I know I need to do this. I know I need to do that. Uh, one person even said that they... Uh, that this question inspired them to find a therapist and that they reached out um, before answering this question. So I thought that was really cool. So yeah, I would say in summary, there was a difference between men and women and how they go about feeling like they're enough. But what's interesting between the two was that when they were able to define it, they did notice an inconsistency in their ability to uh, take action towards that. So I, I, I like I have questions and comments on different tangents. And so I have to stop and say, which which path should I follow? All right, I'll follow <laughs> this path for the moment. So I'm I'm assuming that there would be f some fairly large cultural differences in this, not just in terms of perhaps cultural differences in whether there are differences in the gender responses everywhere, but also cultural differences in the responses in general. Uh, you know, because you, I'm assuming most of the people you were talking to were living in the U.S. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's what kind of makes this study, in quotes, I suppose, uh, because it was so. Yeah, it was, in that yeah, way. it was like people it was, you were right. Well, you, you, you don't have like ten thousand dollars to do. No. 
Yeah. Right. No, but if anyone wants funded. to give her $10,000 to do the research, she'd probably take it. No, I'm just thinking, Guthrie, I'm thinking about um, when we, uh, our own our own very limited guerrilla research, really limited, when we were, do you remember when we were in Sweden a couple of years ago and we asked the yes. people there, what did we ask them? What it was, it was, it was like, like, what are, I, it was more work centric, but it was like, yeah. what are like, um, like the like, what are the qualities and values that you believe are like that that like that like a successful worker or a good a good employee or like a like someone you aspire to be at work are like at the office like who like who are like the best you know everyone kind of knows who like the like the best hotshot like the golden childs at the office are. And it's like, what are the qualities that they have? Yeah, what are the qualities that make someone, you know, a good person you want to work with? That's you know, that's a better way of yeah. Of I saying think it what was, I was I, trying to say, which, is, <laughs> which I, just I think said we phrased it something like that. Oh, and um, the answers were different than than. So hold the, on. Well, so yeah, so but, I will ask you the question. What so what are the you know quality good qualities of of not p people you want to work with but also make it like also like that like you think other people really like yeah and you're, you're you're asking Kristen, i assume yes. right all right so what, <laughs> what do you what do you say other. Kristen? what are what are the qualities that make you know a human a a, a good person to work with or that you think other people would say would make a good a person good to work with. Interesting. Um, we've done a little research on Google or at Google on this, and one of the things that I found surprising that was one of the highest contributors of whether someone was um, enjoyable to work with was whether they were considered to be a safe person, like whether you could trust them and feel safe around them to share your ideas, that you could trust them to. Um, you know, not, not turn their back on you in a meeting yeah. to uh, encourage some of your ideas, but also give you honest feedback so that they were uh, a trustworthy and yeah, safe trustworthy. person to work with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, anything else that you think people would answer or anything that, you know, what, what, what would you answer? Right. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, um, something that's important to me is working with someone that can make me better. Uh, I like to think of it sort of like basketball, like you don't get better by playing with people that are at your level, you get better by playing with people that uh, have more skills than you in a different direction. So for me, I really enjoy working with people that um, really value uh, continual improvement on their craft and, and share their learnings with others. Is that, is that it? Uh, I think positive people too. <laughs> yeah, I think humor is important also. So, um, so if there was someone at work and they, uh, they only come in to work about six hours a day, that would be okay. Everyone, no, no one would kind of uh, bat an eye about that. Interesting. Um, and they're all, their work is completed. Let's do, let's do first, all their work is completed. And second, all their work is not completed. Yeah. I think in this, you know, digital age, it's, it's so common for people to work remotely and, 
you know, there are people in the office that, you know, I, I see very rarely. Oh, because they don't work from home. So, no, 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 they work, they work six much. hours a day. They're only working six hours, but they're a very day. positive. <laughs> yeah. It, it's hard to really separate that from whether or not they're like meeting the needs. I think whether how much time that they do the work is, you know, cause there's someone that could spend 13 hours and, you know, a day and, and not get the same amount done as someone in three hours. So I think it, it depends for me if they're carrying their load, less so um, the hours that they're actually in the office. Well, so one of the things that we found, or at least in my experience, I found and asking some people, it's the same thing there in the US, there's like this really, really weird. Oh, it's kind of like, it's like no one wants to talk about it, but it like exists in the ethos. I, there are a couple other examples in society and culture that I guess you could talk about um, that uh, that like no one wants to bring up. Like, so for example, no one would say that it's important for them to work with someone they find attractive. And yet everyone would much prefer to work with someone they find attractive. <laughs> really? And, uh, well, it, maybe not, but I don't know. That's I just, I have a suspicion. <laughs> It's just, it's just a hunch. I mean, again, this is just anecdotal. And the second thing is, at least for Americans, it seems like hard work and effort is very, very important to success or at least mm -hmm. the appearance of hard work and effort. So mm. if you're the person who comes in late every day and you leave early and you take an hour and a half for lunch and you're always taking breaks and chit-chatting with other people, um, that sort of person is generally frowned upon in the workplace by everyone mm -hmm. and there does seem to be this like competition of who is like whoever is the hardest worker at the office is generally pretty well regarded mm -hmm. i think that's safe to say like everyone knows who's like goes above and beyond and is like putting in extra time and is just like taking other people's work um, and I, I mean, I don't know, maybe Google's different. I used to work in a logistics company that was like a very, very fast paced, intense environment. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe it was more pronounced there. But certainly there is this like whoever the hardest working person is, is that's like a good quality to have. And it mm. sort of goes almost without saying. Interesting. Did you, um, was this just individuals in the UX industry that you were speaking with? or No, was... this was almost, this was no, probably was not wider. even user, users yeah. in the UX industry, yeah. but I'm sure there were some of them. Um, Interesting. Um, because you were talking about how it's so important to be perceived as, as doing a lot of hard work, but I feel like there's this very recent conversation that is being discussed, definitely at Google, but uh, I'm sure in other places too about work-life balance and not glorifying the person that's, you know, returning emails <clears throat> at one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Well, this was like a couple that. years ago too. Oh, Before interesting. Okay. This was maybe yeah. in vogue. This was, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Although I'm, I'm always wondering if people are talking a good game about work and life balance, but not like living work-life balance. Like, By the way, I just have a feeling that if you had a good work-life balance, and you came into work late often and you you did what you were supposed to i mean the reality is is that most people do way more than what their like job description says they're supposed to do like 
there's like that part, but then there's not enough people on the project and they end up doing X, like they're supposed to only do X and Y and they end up, their daily life is X, Y, Z and N and B and C and all this other stuff. Um, but if you just like came in and put in your time and just did what you were supposed to and did good work and then just left, I feel like you would not be like the person on the promotion radar. Like you're not, mm. you're not the, the person that the bosses are like, yeah, this, we need to get, we need to like, like, like empower this person. All right. All right. So first of all, I'm going to interrupt because can we stop smiling now? Yes. Yes. I was actually <laughs> going to mention that. <laughs> Thank you. Cause it's, it's really hard to do that. Um, okay. That now the next thing I want to mention Guthrie about what you just said is, um, that, there's also a tendency, or at least this used to be true, maybe it's not true anymore, um, that the really, really hardworking people are not the ones who get promoted uh, in some companies because you don't want to lose that person. Right, right. That, you, that, that you know, happens as well. So the really, really, the person who's like, you know, taken on everything that it, that is falling through cracks and is just kind of killing themselves, may not get promoted. Um, I, I just wanted to mention that. But, okay, Guthrie, can you, though, can you mention about what, how we thought, found the, the answers were different in Sweden? Well, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, because this was a while ago, so I don't know if I exactly remember. Um, so, with, like, the number one answer, when we when we asked in Sweden to a giant room of people and everyone sort of nodded in agreement and was like, they, like, wrote it down. And basically the the top answer for almost everyone was um, modesty mm, and not being uh, braggadocious about your work. Yeah, not being, being humble. Being humble. Humility, I think, was the word that they used, mm -hmm. too. And let me, let me give you the perfect... Uh, sort of example of where like the rubber actually meets the road. We do workshops all the time and um, a lot of them are in corporate settings, right? So like the workshop you did with us, we, you know, we were at a conference and so there was like, you know, you weren't in your job, but imagine we came into your office at Google and we did the workshop there, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it was lunchtime and uh, they had, you know, they had sort of catered in lunch, you know, with like, so, so like right outside the room we were in, they had plates and um, they brought in the food. And so. Um, really, really good food, by the way. Yeah, really good food. <laughs> and so we, we grabbed some food and we, uh, we, we went and we sat down at our, at our desk in the, in the training room. Um, and we, we just started eating lunch kind of by as our laptops. As we always do. Yeah, as we always do. And, uh, you know, we, we were just uh, chit-chatting and, and uh, you know, ch check an email or two. And we look up and the entire room is empty. And this is, a, this is um, these are people from different companies. This was, this was at, a, at a, you know, it wasn't a conference. It was. It was a private thing, but it was different companies at all. It wasn't all one company, I think. Was that true? Right. So, yeah. yes, and it was at a hotel. So it's not like they had all gone back to their desk to work. Well, mm -hmm. so what happened was is that, but they had desks. They had they had their laptops up at, at each little station. They did. And the everyone table. had yep. 
they had taken their plate, they had found a bunch of tables in like a hallway and like pushed them together so that they could have like a communal lunch. And yeah. the entire lunch, it was a it was like a full hour. No one checked any of the emails all day long. And there wasn't like, oh, we gotta go like when we do conferences in this in the States, if there's like an in like a lunch that's in house, everyone sits at their desk and eats and works. Yeah. Or they come they bring their lunch into the meeting room and then they open their laptop and they check their email or they make a phone call and they may socialize a little bit with the other people there. They socialize but, a lot. But they're but, definitely but checking they're also their doing some email. work. At, yeah, so Guthrie and I realized no one was in the room, and we kind of looked at each other, and then we got up to see where everyone because was. Because you don't them, do lunch where you work. You, you do not do lunch. You to go have lunch. out to have lunch with other people. So, so like and the idea of eating lunch in the same room that you were doing work was like a foreign country. Really foreign to them, yeah. They would not do that. So they were having their lunch, which meant so, – and they were out there for the full hour. Wow. And then yeah. when it was time, when the hour was up, you know, then they came back in the room for, for you know, quote, work. So when they say that, like, hard, you know, because because I and I've seen Americans don't say that hard work is number one. And yet I found especially and maybe and maybe again, it's changing. But I found that people who are. Always, who are like very responsive to emails, always like work available, doing a lot of stuff, get, getting into the office early. Like these are the types of people who, I don't know, command respect in for, in, for some reason. Are um, valued. Are valued. And mm. like. Yeah, I don't think, I, I don't think, I would be surprised if humble and modest came up as the number one <laughs> on on the list that of qualities for yeah. for Americans that Americans would say. So I mean, and I, I I'm assuming that there you know other parts of the world it, you'd get different answers too. I I think it would be really you know interesting cross culturally to to uh, to check that. But tell Kristen, tell us about another. Uh, you know, have you done other guerrilla researchers besides the. Uh, <laughs> How do you know you're enough? Are there any others that you want to share with us? I have, yeah. And I just want to wrap up. That is fascinating. I am so curious about, mm. about you know, learning more about the, the cultural differences between, you know, work ethic and stuff. That, I love that. Well, um, I mean, I should I should also say, I mean, you're, do you work in, in the Valley? Are you at the main Google headquarters or something? Or a, a I am. closer mm -hmm. running? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I, I mean, there, there, that's its own geographical region. Is yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, like it's always got its own like like its own thing going on. I mean, Google itself and all the Silicon Valley companies, they can they talk a big game about work life balance. And, you know, they have, oh, we have like cold brew coffee at our workstations and only the nicest snacks and slides and stuff. But like the burnout rate for those companies is really high. And traditionally, the turnover has been pretty pretty tough. Um, so, I, I mean, maybe you know. So, so I think Silicon Valley always has its own unique culture and its own unique challenges. Um, and mm -hmm. perhaps what you're seeing is ahead of the curve. I'll say. <laughs> 
I'm actually leading a discussion on Thursday for a group offsite on work-life balance. And mm. we're going to share like life hacks and tips about how we maintain work-life balance. So it's a, it's a very active conversation, um, I, I think, within Google, but certainly within my team, uh, not as a reactive um, you know, effort, but just more preventative, just like yeah. always keeping it in the discussion. They just really want uh, individuals to be satisfied with their work and, um, yeah, just like their holistic view of their life and, and work is an important part of that. So, mm. yeah, it, I think it's extremely important and I am very grateful that it's a, a conversation that we're having at Google and uh, one that I get to lead this week. I mean, yeah, so. it's... I, I don't know. I don't know if you think that. Um, like, do do you think that the that it can get to a healthy place? I mean, part of the problem I just feel is that there is like work. So Sweden has a really really big history of you'll you'll find this interesting of trade unions. It's a it's hmm. very 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 strong there. So like. Almost um, a lot of professions, and if you're Swedish and I'm getting this wrong, please yell at me. But yeah, let us know. And I know we have some people from Sweden that listen to our podcast. Um, but so so the so the trade unions are really strong. So a lot of industries, a lot of the pay, like what you like, what like standard pay is, is actually negotiated between companies and the national trade unions. So wow, yeah, it's like it's this whole thing, and it's it's, it's so, so, so if there's... you're you know if you have a certain job, it's it's not that your company is. This is my understanding, Guthrie. Yeah. It's not that your company is negotiating with the union in that company for what the wages and benefits are. It those those are negotiated at a national level. Yeah, it's for like everyone it's, it's the who national does that guild work. of welders or something. Yeah, and and within you know there's definitely variance. So if you're a good welder, you can get paid a little more. But sort of the bounds of what's expected is sort of set by the tr by the trade unions. But it makes um, there is a sort of a very historical sort of guild uh, approach to work. Um, which is, I think, different than the sort of the American model. So because of that, um, there is, I think, a bit more of an idea, a more, bit more of a feeling that like that, like when you join a company, um, like you're jo joining like a fraternal order and mm. you're like, you, you know, it's 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 a yes, it's about work, but it's also like like you have like there's like this whole kind of cultural like aspect and you're like you're in the group now. And oh, so they need to belong, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, whereas in the United States, um, there is just corporate pressure to maximize profits and grind people, and like that, there's just a lot of pressure for people to work really, really, really hard because that's well, what you okay. do. Okay, and and I think we have to not forget that there are in other countries besides the U.S. and Sweden is one of them. Um, you start with this assumption, uh, for instance, in Sweden, Guthrie, what, when we were there, which was two years ago, they said the, not the amount of required vacation time by law, by law is what, what is it? I think it's, it's uh, I think the minimum amount of vacation, a job 
can provide its employees, I think is five weeks. Maybe it's, it might be six. Yeah. And that was the min. And they told but us most that people was get eight or nine. The minimum that most people would get like eight, you know, if you'd been there a while and then you'd get more than 10, that. Yeah. But you have to get five. Five weeks vacation. And so if we're talking happy. about work-life balance, like there, you know, it's like, let's talk about the starting point. Because it's one thing. It's one thing to try and put a, together work-life balance. a year balance. for maternal and paternal leave. A year mm-hmm. for, paid. Wow. right, a paid year for leave. So it's, you know, so you, you, I, I think that when we talk about work-life balance here in the U.S., we're starting from this huge deficit. We're starting from a place in which it is, it's kind of like uh, the, it's like you're, you're, you're scrabbling to try and get any, <laughs> you know, mm. rather mm-hmm. than, I mean, can, I, I, Kristen, think about, you're leading this discussion, you said on Thursday, think about that, how different the discussion would be if it were required by law that everybody at Google had to have five weeks vacation. Why doesn't Google give seven weeks vacation? <laughs> I'm not sure. Right? Maybe they do in Sweden. <laughs> but I just think sure I just think it's a different conversation. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> when you have these, you know, these any of those basics in place. Anyway, I tell you, after we were th- we were in Sweden, um, the last time we were there, we were there for like what, three weeks or something? Like a month or something. It was a while. Yeah, I think we yeah. were ready to just stay. <laughs> How you could have talked me into just staying, but um, with everything but, we were finding out. So yeah, so I think I think part of the work life balance is because with the internet and working from home, there has been an encroachment onto the home space from the office yeah. that for mm-hmm. a lot of people in the past they don't think existed, and so there's a sort of a urge to return to the natural order of things, which is well, you go to work to work, and then you kind of when you when you're home you don't, um, but that's still there, you know, that still is much less. I mean, in France, by law, everyone has to work a 35 hour work week. And in... what? You go ahead. Yeah. And they can't go over that. Yeah. You can't right? go over 35 hours. I mean, I can't. I mean, I... in France, by law, you cannot require someone to uh, read or answer emails when they're yeah. after hours. Now, what's fascinating, and I should tell you as well, is when you talk to Europeans and you say, hey, who are like, what, you know, who are like the hardest working employees? People are like, mm-hmm. oh, the Swedish, the Germans, the Swedish, the Finnish, like, like it's, so so even with their, with their six weeks of vacation, eight weeks of vacation, they're, they're considered like some of the, like the hardest working, like, oh man, they're at work all the time. Wow. So, um, yeah, so I mean, there is this, for whatever reason, the American work culture has become sort of a cult of like, you're at work all the time. Well, and I think part and of it, interesting. you know, you mentioned about the internet and the ability to e- easier and easier to work from home or not even work from home. I mean, easier and easier to work while you're driving, while you're, uh, uh, you know, waiting to pick up your kids from softball practice or whatever it is because of 
um, you know, mobile devices. And also, I think the other issue, you know, that we can't ignore is that um, the uh, habitual nature of the devices. So that even if you don't want to be working and you don't want to be checking your, e- your work emails or anything else, uh, you know, part of you doesn't want to, but then it's a habit to keep looking. And so it's, it may not even be that it's required. It may just be that you're now in the habit of always working. Right. It's kind of like friction. Uh, I guess, you know, 20 years ago before, you know, using the internet so much professionally, it seems like if you wanted to do work on a weekend, you'd have to go into the office and, um, you know, make it very intentional. But nowadays you could just, you know, pick up your phone <laughs> or take your laptop to a coffee shop. And it's, it's, there's less of a barrier between, yeah, work and the rest of your life. Although I think... People, you know, years ago, pre-internet, they brought a lot of work home. Mm, okay. Um, I think that's probably a... See, what you have to remember, not as though I remember this, because certainly <laughs> 20 years ago, I you was were, not working. I was just a toddler. You were just a toddler, but, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I do want to kind of set the record straight on this, because I think there is this idea that... that you know, this whole phenomenon of working all the time is new, and it's not new. But what is different is that you had to, um, you had to literally bring things home. Like you would, mm-hmm. I mean, this is, you know, people used briefcases, right, or backpacks, mm-hmm. and they would pack in there files and notes and paper like you would like yeah. um uh reports. I, I, I love home big reports. Well, what? so you would you would take home uh like like the the notes from a meeting and like transcribe the meeting into like a summaries. Yeah, you would. I mean, and back. Rem- please do remember that pre-internet there were computers, right? So the computers would be you know, and then we're talking about in the 1980s, the 1990s. The computers would be. You'd get these gigantic printouts. Okay, I mean, think of all the data can, you look at. Can can you do, replicate the noise that those printers made? <laughs> <laughs> okay, like that, and then yeah. so you'd have this. Was that pretty good? And then you have to rip off the sides with the little holes on them. <laughs> yeah, so you'd have this big stack of stuff, and you now, and you'd have to, you know, you gotta like analyze that. You gotta look through it. You gotta make decisions from it. That's not all being made for you. And so you'd, you'd take this big piece of paper and you'd stick it in your briefcase or your backpack and you would take it home. And then mm. while at home, you would work on it. You'd think about it. You'd you'd make notes about, you know, about phone calls you were going to make and that kind of thing. So um, I think what is different is, you know, you had to, and it was intentional. I mean, although there there's always the possibility of just sitting down and getting pen and paper and thinking up, you know, it's like, okay, I have a meeting next week. What do I want to talk about? Right. Mm -hmm. So I think people did a lot of, a lot of work at home, but I think that what's, uh, what's different now, um, is that, you know, they can do it anywhere, not just at home. They Mm -hmm. can, you know, uh, see, I think it's more insidious because, 
I think it's one thing to go into a room or sit at your kitchen table and say, I'm going to do some work now. And I think it's different to be watching a movie with your kids, but you're not. Mm. Because you're on your phone reading emails and answering emails. Like that's that's worse because that's a that's not only encroaching on the time, it's it's doing the divided attention. And then what happens is you feel guilty that you're not spending time with your family and you feel guilty that you're not working. Right. Um, you know, it's like you're just in constant guilt mode because it's oh because you know it's always there. But right. Um, and I imagine yeah. that's especially um, relevant to women right now. You know, there was like this maternal employment war from, you know, 20 years ago. Where it's like working mothers and how does that affect their relationship with children? And now it's it's more common that there are, you know, dual income households and who's taking care of the kids. And how do you balance that as a mother? All right, you we only have a few minutes left. Tell us about one other one other type of guerrilla research you've done. Sure. Um, so a recent one I did was, uh, what are the lies you tell yourself? And is there anything in your mind that you know is logically untrue, but you tell yourself anyway? Okay, this so, she's really dangerous, Guthrie. I, I don't know that we <laughs> want to have too many conversations with her. She's going to ask really tough questions. What are the lies you tell yourself? And what was the second part? So sort of as a clarifying, is there anything in your mind that you know is logically untrue, but you tell yourself anyway? And I'm very curious if you can guess the findings for men and women and how they differed. And there's there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> a lot. Okay. All right. So what, what do you think are some of the most common for men? Oh, my God. I have no idea. Right, That's can, you, can you just repeat the question? What sure. are the lies you tell yourself? Mm-hmm. And what is are the and what mind? is something that you you logically know is untrue, but you tell yourself it anyway? Okay, I'm gonna guess that um, men tell themselves that they're like they're like um, above average, like looking or above average athletically or something, even though they know that that's not true yep so uh there's about 10 for men and that is one uh, of them really yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Ten of laughs> got it you got any others got through you got nine more guesses about <sighs> the men um are, are are there other other uh similar variations on that theme where basically men are uh like they know that they're less than than like perfect but in some capacity, but like on work or, or is that? Yeah. The, kind of, the, um, just this idea that they're above average. Yeah. Um, kind of like a Stuart Smalley or something. Uh, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough and doggone it. People like me. Mm. And this mentality. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I would say, uh, that is kind of a, a category in its own, but there are uh, okay. quite a few more that are, I would more, say less right. positive. Um, that you said were what? Less positive. Less positive. Less positive. Oh, okay. That's a good mm-hmm. hint. Uh, I'm, I'm going to guess one for the women. Oh, okay. That, that, that they're happy. Like yeah. they're happy with their life. 
Yeah, one of my favorite verbatims was, I'm enjoying all aspects of motherhood, which is really <laughs> Well, we would know that's not true. Anyone who's ever been a mother would know that was not true. But that's what they tell themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay and, that, and that could cover, that could cover a, a lot, right? Like, I'm happy with my boyfriend. I'm happy with my... You know, I get you know, I guess you said motherhood. I'm happy with like whatever the situation is. Yeah. 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 So for men, uh, it was really interesting. Some of the findings that they tell uh, lives that they told themselves were around I'm not lonely, there's someone for everyone. Mm. Uh health related ones, like I'll return to working out, I'll quit drinking. Um and then some kind of uh sort of productivity lies that they tell themselves uh like i don't need to write that down i don't need help with <laughs> insert anything that's that's um, that's the um i don't need the manual uh yeah category. <laughs> i can it, i got i got it i can figure it out okay, i'm not that's interesting i'm not vulnerable yeah all right what were some of the other what do you think yeah, go ahead. Oh, what were you saying, Kristen? Oh, I was saying, Guthrie, what do you think are some of the lies that women tell themselves? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, Come on, man, you're, you're really... Uh, I told you, she's really tough. Uh, she's asking to get me in trouble. Um, <laughs> I actually think the... Yeah, Yeah. go but, ahead, Guthrie. Nobody's listening. Yeah, go ahead. Summarize <laughs> women for us. Um, I actually... I think the one, the, the lie that, uh, that I'm happy... I think that's a really good one. Like I have, um, I have a number of, uh, I mean, you probably have friends like this too, who like, you know, that they have an acrimonious relationship and yeah. you know, they're fighting and like they're huffing and like, they're like, maybe not always miserable with each other, but like, they're definitely not like this, like fairy tale, whatever. And all they post on Instagram is like, two years since the day and it's like pictures of their wedding and it's like <laughs> like oh my god life partner best brunch ever and it's just like lovey-dovey like we're sure. we're like this perfect relationship but that's all their instagram is and you sort of know yeah. it's like a lie but it's almost like they're not doing it to make other I, I've, I've i've always felt they don't do it to make other people that they don't do it to convince other people that they have a like a happy relationship they're doing it to like convince themselves Oh, absolutely. There's this one great quote that I love, and it's, you're not who you think you are. You're not who other people think you are. You're who you think other people think you are. <laughs> and I think they're trying to grow that. And you're absolutely right. Uh, a common theme that we found within women were lying to themselves about how happy they are or could be in relationships. Um, some of my favorite verbatims were, he's not a narcissist. It will work out. You're overthinking, overanalyzing. And that I can love someone into loving me right. And I thought those were really powerful. Yeah. 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 No, it's, yeah. He, no, he, he, he's, he's a really good guy. Like, I know, like, sometimes he's, like, X or Y, but he, that's not, that's yeah. not, that's not who he is. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So, anyway, those, those were some of the, the interesting lies that people told themselves. There were, some, some more happy ones, um, you know, telling themselves that they were going to start working out or eating right tomorrow. And, you know, Wait, they were how, calling why is that happy? More... That's sad because that's a lie to themselves. Well, <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to do is, that. I think they're realizing that it's, you know, change isn't as immediate as, as we would all hope. Uh. 
you know, so it's like in the direction opposed to just this kind of like delusional optimism, mm. you know, right, now, now, Kristen, why did you want us to smile for 10 minutes? I was really curious how it would affect the conversation. Um, I've read some studies about, uh, you know, interviews or customer service representatives and when they smile throughout the conversation without being seen and how that content changes opposed to um, just keeping a, a neutral face. And I was curious how that would take this conversation. I didn't really have a hypothesis, but I was So now interested. we have to go back and, and analyze what we said. Yeah, right? well, yeah I'm going to go back uh, and When I it. smiled, I felt happier. You did? Um, yeah. All right. You want to know something I found when I was smiling, but maybe it was because I was looking in the mirror. Well, so, I, now hold on. What? When you, uh, help me get the brain science of this right. Yeah. When you, you have like the mental image of what you look like, but when you see it in a mirror, it's mm. reversed? Or does that mean you're, so are you seeing it? The So what, because something, 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 like, I remember, like, if you see it and they flip the image and then it look and then it looks like a stranger because it's not what you're expecting. Maybe the mirror is what you're expecting, so you think you're looking at yourself, but then if you flip it, yeah. But you got to remember, I spend hours and hours and hours looking at videos of myself when we do our well, video. No, that, that's what I say, right? So, so, so is the really mirror the the same that. of as the videos, or is that the inverse, or is it like flipped? No, the mirror is the same as the, the same videos. as the videos. Okay, so you're you're used to that, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I don't know if that would affect that. Might that's interesting. It might, or maybe it would affect me more if I didn't. I think it's if you take like a, a they take like the picture of like you take a picture of someone but and then you flip you, it. When you flip it, and that's actually what you look like to other people, but then it yeah. looks like a your brain is like who's the stranger because we're not yeah. perfectly symmetrical. Something yeah. Like that. I okay, think it's but also but that's not the smile. case. Here. I think it's interesting to smile throughout a conversation uh, in person as well as, you know, yeah, over the phone. Because even when I suggested that, you're like, can we talk about sad things? And it feels like if you force yourself to smile, the likelihood of you talking about negative things or complaining just feels sort of inconsistent with your face. It does. You know? And then same thing with uh, interacting with people. If you just walk around with a smile, you're more approachable. It almost feels like they would be doing you a disservice by bringing down something negative if you're smiling. So I'm just, I don't know, I'm kind of curious about that space ever since asking people if they were enough. And then some of the response is just kind of saying um, this approach to life where you just sort of smile and it, it reflects back at you. I yeah. found when I, when I was smiling into the mirror today, it made it hard for me to think. <laughs> mm. Mm. yeah like I yes. felt like I could you know my mental faculties were like dimmed right it's very so, odd yeah. I'm gonna have to yeah. now I'm gonna have to ponder that one <laughs> and it might have to do with um it might have to do with being an introvert versus being an extrovert like it's mm. a lot of work for me to be extroverted and I consider smiling <laughs> and being. <laughs> why are you laughing, Catherine? You're smiling so funny. Being, what? <laughs> why? Well, because so I, uh, 
because you are, while you are an introvert, you are a very like loud and outgoing person. In a good way. <laughs> yeah, but like, like you like being on stage. Yeah, I like being on you stage. Like I like doing speeches. I like talking on podcasts. But it's just so weird that that's the route you chose. Because like, I'm an extrovert, so like. When I'm talking to people or when I'm like meeting new people, like it's energetic and I have a really fun time. And so it's like why you would pick a profession where like <laughs> the only thing you do is like really hard and draining. I don't I, I don't quite understand that. I chose you, Susan. We follow you. <laughs> I don't understand it either. I don't understand it. It's it's because um... you but because you really enjoy it. I enjoy what? Being in front of people. I do. I love I love being on stage and giving talks and teaching classes. It's it's extremely fun. But um it is all but I do also find it, you know, tiring, right? But see, mm. what I tell people is like I remember I would say to people, "Oh, I'm an introvert." And they like I I used to do. I don't do as much anymore, but I used to do um a lot of community theater, right? I mean, I'd be on the stage, I'd have the leading role, right? And and then I would mention being an introvert and people would say, how can you be an introvert? You're on stage. And it's like, right. yeah, but I'm not on stage as me. Mm. You know, I'm on stage playing a part. I can do that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, uh, maybe Kristen can analyze this for us and, and uh, you know, come back and give me some psychoanalysis about why about this juxtaposition of being an introvert and but liking to be on stage so i i don't i don't have an, an answer but it is true i am an introvert i like people i like talking to people but it is not the easiest thing for me to, to do as guthrie will attest as whenever we're at a conference and it's time to schmooze you know, he says, okay, let's go schmooze. And I say, oh, no, do we have to go schmooze? So, uh, but see, I really enjoy one-on-one, -on -one, you know, deep conversations. So, Kristen, when we sat at lunch and got talking about your research, like, I, you know, then I have no problem. And, that, you know, I'm not, I'm interested in talking about that. So there's something about the crowd versus one-on-one. -on -one. So there yeah. you have it. We can now analyze Susan Weinshank. Kristen, this has been so much fun, and I knew that we would get you on, and the time would just, like, fly, and we wouldn't have enough time to talk about everything, which was true. <laughs> I hope you will stay in touch with us and let us know more about your uh, guerrilla research as you go along. Is there, uh, Absolutely. Is there anything you want to plug? <clears throat> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, smiling. <laughs> I think just, yeah, I don't, I don't have any specific agenda. I think, um, I don't know if there's anything to plug. I think it's just kindness to other people. So, yeah. Spotlight for that. <laughs> thing to plug. Yeah. yeah, no, this has been so much fun. It's always so incredible, you know, talking to you guys. I remember throughout the conference, any, any time I spent talking to you, I was always just, you know, left with really fascinating things to ponder so i really appreciate being on this podcast and and having the opportunity to just kind of explore some of these ideas with you thanks so much for having me yeah we were, we were glad to have you all right um 
Kristen, Guthrie. Thanks a lot, Guthrie. If people want to reach us, how do they reach us? Uh, yeah, you can. Inf- oh my God, you can email info at theteamw.com. And I'm just going to ask um, uh, if you like the podcasts that we do, the episodes that we do. Um, please do review us uh, or or write a review at whatever your podcast listening software or app is that really helps us get the word out to more people yeah well uh thank you everyone and uh i guess uh, i guess we'll wrap up bye bye Bye. thanks so much bye